Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, you may remember that in the four Gospels which tell us the life of Jesus, it is in Matthew and Luke that we learn about the birth of Jesus. They give two different accounts. Um, Matthew tells us from the perspective of Joseph. An angel visits Joseph and, um, and tells him that Mary is pregnant with the Son of God. And um, we also learn about the kings in Matthew. In Luke, we learn about the coming of Jesus through Mary's perspective. It begins with her relative Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah, who was a priest. And uh, we learn about how um, she, Elizabeth, in her very advanced age, uh, has become pregnant. And so... Um, her husband, Zechariah, is struck dumb in that moment. He, has, he doesn't speak until the baby is born, that baby being John the Baptist. Uh, and so our scripture picks up then after that when Jesus is, or when the angel Gabriel visits Mary to tell her that she is pregnant with Jesus. On the second day of Advent, we pick up on the story already in progress, as they say. In the account of Luke, verses 26 through 45, on the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary sent out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah, and she greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and explained with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. There they stand, breathless, belly to belly, the maid and the elder cousin, full of grace and truth. John leaps for joy, covered in the flesh of Elizabeth, unborn yet already at work. In the wilderness of her womb, he will not wait to make the way known. Elizabeth extends her arthritic hands, one wrapping her in welcome, the other in blessing, encompassing the inexperienced traveler in affirmation of faith. Worship overwhelms worry. In the sanctuary of her solace, Mary is safe enough to sing. I love that line. Worship overwhelms worry. In the sanctuary of her solace, Mary is safe enough to sing. The poem is by Lisa Ann Moss de Grenia, and it describes a truth that many of us know in the depths of our hearts. When we are in the context of holy relationship, we can truly be ourselves. When we are in the context of community, we can talk about what God is doing inside of us. In the safety of relationship, we find the freedom to give voice to the Holy Spirit working. It is in being together that we recognize God all around us. Mary was young. Elizabeth was old. They were simple people, common people. They were the quiet ones. And yet God was doing something new in each of them. Something scary, something exciting, something miraculous. God chose to use those women that we would call common people to bring about the Christ event. The late Ernest Freeman Tittle once pointed out that people like Mary and Elizabeth were in that group known as the quiet in the land. They were far from pretensions in their style of life or their religion. They were devout, but quietly so. They did not have the learning of the scribes or the power of the rulers, but these quiet ones were, after all, the real strength of Israel. It was they who provided devout homes, such as those of John the Baptist and Jesus, and who kept alive the moral and spiritual insight and the inspiring hopes of the prophetic religion. God's choice of Mary and Elizabeth shows us that encounters with the Holy Spirit are not simply for Sunday mornings or high and holy people. God chose those who we see as simple, quiet, common. 
We know that God chose such people because God's desire is not to be in relationship with a select few, the elite, but with all of us, with everyone. We know that God came to such people because they were willing and they were faithful. But perhaps God also chose these two women knowing that the quiet ones would understand what Christ's coming is all about. Let me give you some background. Mary wasn't married, she was engaged. Betrothed to Joseph, a marriage that would have been arranged by her father, as was the custom of the time, for the year after her betrothal, she was to live at home. She was still under the care of her father. It was the days in which women were property, and their sole purpose was to give birth to baby boys. Not exactly the time in history to be a woman. In fact, J. Ellsworth Callis tells us of the discovery some years ago of a first century letter from an Egyptian workman to his wife. He writes, they were expecting a baby during his absence from home, so he wrote to his wife, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, throw it out. God's choice for a quiet one, a young woman yet unmarried, to bring life to the Son of God was a powerful act. Now, Mary's engagement was a legal action. She couldn't change her mind should she have wanted to. Equally, she would forever be considered a widow if something were to happen to Joseph even before they were married. And a widow, of course, was the poorest of society in those days. Engagement was risky for a woman, not so much for a man. Not only was he getting a bride, but a dowry. When it came time for the wedding, Joseph would come to Mary's home and take her to his. Transaction complete. The wedding would last a week. It is in this context that Mary learns that she's pregnant. You can imagine how she must have felt. And that's when she, because she knows it's not her fiancé's child. What does she do? Some might say she ran away. Now, Elizabeth was old. She had previously been barren. She no doubt was ostracized from her family because she wasn't able to do the one thing women were expected to do. Little standing in the community, shunned, married to a respected priest, unable to give him the gift of a son, pushed to the margins, and here finally she receives the news that she's pregnant. And immediately her husband stops talking to her. He was struck dumb, but did she understand that? So he's no help. She can't talk to him. And the women at the marketplace who shunned her, how would they treat her now? Would they welcome her into the club? All of them had children years ago. They were now grandmothers and great-grandmothers. Maybe they'd be afraid of her, afraid this condition was catching. (laughs) Would they even believe her? Or would they just ridicule her? Anyway, they'd been horrible to her. Why would she want to talk to them now? She wouldn't trust them with her holy secret. So Elizabeth's response to her good news is to go into seclusion. Maybe she did this to hide out. Maybe she was afraid. We don't know her history entirely with infertility. Maybe seclusions meant bed rest. Elizabeth hid. Mary ran away. Or did they? 
In his announcement to Mary, the angel tells her that her relative Elizabeth is also pregnant. While this gives the whole immaculate conception thing some credibility, the same angel spoke to Zechariah about Elizabeth, who spoke to Mary, the additional miracle of Elizabeth's pregnancy. I don't think that's why Gabriel shares this news. God knew what God was doing. God chose these women, and their relationship was part of what God chose about them. We know they were related. I'd always thought they were cousins, but as I read this passage again yesterday, I realized it says relative. There we, we know there was quite an age span among them. I wonder if they had a special relationship because Elizabeth had no daughter of her own. Maybe Elizabeth was Mary's cool aunt, the one she could talk to when her mom was making her crazy. We don't know fully their familial connection, but we come to see why God brought them together. God knew what God was asking of these women. And so just as pivotal to the story as the declaration that God has found favor with Mary is the announcement that her cousin is also pregnant. The message to Mary about Elizabeth is not just an offhanded, oh, by the way, it's part of the plan. God wanted the two to come together. The birth of Christ is a relational event. And the mother of Christ needed a companion who understood and would give her strength and confidence. These two quiet ones are called to be the vehicles of a miracle that has the power of relationship at its very core. Mary leaves immediately to see Elizabeth. She's greeted with love and blessing, and the two are able to be excited and to relish in what God is doing in them. It is in their coming together that, the vo that voice is given to God's work inside of them. As a result, Elizabeth makes proclamation and Mary speaks poetry. They celebrate and take joy in what God is doing. It's in this story's chapter of Luke that we first read the term, the Holy Spirit. I'm sure we see it throughout the Old Testament, though the term is not exactly used. It is here in Luke, among two quiet women, that we encounter firsthand the Holy Spirit's work of relationship. The Holy Spirit is the agent of relationship in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is who placed the baby in Mary's womb. The baby who would become known to us as Emmanuel, which means God with us. God chose to put on human flesh to be incarnate because God so desperately wants to be in relationship with us. It is the Holy Spirit who brought Mary and Elizabeth together, providing the avenue of strength and hope through shared experience. And it is the Holy Spirit who gave birth to the church that we might be Christ for each other and the world. Like Mary and Elizabeth, we have come to know that it is in community. It is in sharing and honesty and love that God is revealed and we are given life. It is in the experience of community that we find the safety we need to speak of what God is doing inside of us and turn our fear into awe. I see it all the time. I saw it yesterday as I sat at Don's bed and one by one people came in to thank him for being the presence of God to them. I see it all the time with the youth. I see it most easily in the context of their mission trips. 
such an experience of Christian community creates an atmosphere that allows for vulnerability. They come to know one another on a deeper level, and at that level, they tap into what the Holy Spirit has intended for them. And they give voice to what God is doing inside of them. It happens in Disciple Bible Study and Beth Moore in Companions Groups and Parent Circle on Sunday mornings and Friday mornings. Relationships are found and God is revealed and people begin to testify to how their life is full because of relationships God has provided them in the context of Christian community. So many of you started coming to church for your kids. You wanted your kids to have the experience of church, of establishing a relationship with God, learning the Bible, and serving others. But in the midst of your drive for their relationship with God, I know many of you found your own life being transformed because of the community that enveloped you and the freedom you found to see what God is doing in your life. Sean Wood is an example of this. She's a math teacher and a member of our congregation. She and her husband, Don, began attending in their daughter Avery's first year of life. Avery is now in first grade. In fact, she was singing up here in the cherub choir. Sean recently shared with me about an exercise that she did with her students just before Thanksgiving. She told me how heartbreaking it is for her that she knows many of her students will be going home to Thanksgiving break to nothing. No Thanksgiving celebration, no family gathering, no gluttonous meal. In an effort to offer them hope and to help all students realize the good in their life, she had them write a thank you letter to someone who has been there for them. Now, aside from the fact that this is a math class and that she's having them do this in, and I'm sure there are students like me who would have been ecstatic for the math assignment of writing instead of algebra. (laughs) The writing of the letter, I have no doubt, has to be a powerful time for the students, especially the ones with nothing to go home to, to remember that he or she has someone for whom to be thankful. That's a powerful experience, I am sure. But what inspired me was that in telling me of this experience, Sean told me that she provided an example letter for the class to understand what she meant by this assignment. Now, one might have expected that Sean would write this sample letter to her mom or to a teacher, but in what was, you know, some would say a courageous move, but is a move to her that has grown to feel completely natural, her letter was to God. She told me that in the past few years since attending this church, she has come to know God in a completely new way. She has come to know God as her friend, as someone always there for her, someone she can count on. She no longer views God as above and far away, but as present and in her daily life all around her. Previously, it wouldn't have occurred to Sean to write a thank you letter to God. But through this church, church, she has come to know God in a new way. Through the context of community and relationship, she has come to understand what it means to know that Jesus came as God with us. That's the miracle of relationship that we experience through the Christ event. 
from the moment that John the Baptist leaps into his mother's womb to the announcement that a child has been born for the shepherds, we see God's will for relationship. It's why God chose to come and be among us in the first place. God knows us and loves us, and therefore, for unto us a child is born that we might know God all around us, providing for us through relationship with him and with those God has placed in our lives. As you are going about your holiday preparations, with the shopping and the wrapping of gifts and the party going, remember that you have been destined for relationship. And the birth of Christ demonstrates that. Don't get too caught up in all that you are doing to make Christmas happen that you forget why it happened. Place yourself in situations where you encounter holy relationship so that your worry too turns to worship and you are safe to sing. Let us pray. We give you thanks, O God, for coming into our lives, for your Holy Spirit who brings us together and draws us to you. For the gift of your Son, who is Emmanuel, God with us. May we always find strength and hope in community. And may it give voice to all you are doing inside of us. Amen.